you had another offensive lineman who actually went before me. He went number four to Buffalo, which I'm kind of glad he went there and not me. They play outside. <laughs> yeah, I mean. And I ended up in Minnesota, which is cold too, but they have a dome. Oh, so, that's um, that's a game changer. You, yeah. you don't even, as like an outsider, you don't, you don't even think about that. Oh. You don't even think about that. I do. everybody welcome back let's fucking do it again you know we are at the duck tavern 5901 north federal highway boca raton florida we just wanted to shout out those guys for you know letting us uh hang out today and we got bryant mckinney look and enjoying a good um meatball sandwich oh yeah you hooked it up bro that thing was <laughs> good wasn't it, it? that shit was good wasn't it <laughs> it was good it looked good i'm gonna get one when i leave but um everybody you got to know uh happy hour is three to seven every day up here saturday and sunday you got brunch from 10 to 12 and Wednesday, you got 75 cent wings. So check it out. It's an amazing space. You got great ownership up here. It's just, it's just, it's just a fun place to hang out. So, but shit, dude, thank you for coming, man. Oh, I appreciate man. it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no doubt. So let's just kind of dive into it. You're from Jersey. Yep. Okay. And we're in Florida. So is it just like a thing where everybody down here is from? Like New York, New Jersey? No, right. Like what's the deal with that? I think because we all grew up in the snow and the cold weather, you know, and having all those harsh winters that um, when we get old enough, we kind of come down here and visit a few times and then find ourselves like really loving it down here. So that's why you you have a lot of people who are snowbirds or you have people like myself. I just happened to go to college here and I just made this my main residence from there on. Yeah, absolutely. What was it uh, what was it like growing up in Jersey? I like growing up in Jersey. So yeah. I, like, I feel like we're kind of the best of both worlds, especially the time period when I grew up in Jersey, like, you know, in the 80s and in the 90s. And then things transitioned. Um, you know, with the internet and the, even musically, like when I got here in 99, started more of the Southern music started taking over too. So I feel like I got the best of kind of both worlds in that space. Growing up in Jersey was fun. I had a great group of friends. I feel like people from Jersey are tough. There's I that grew, New York Jersey mentality, yeah, I feel like, right? Philly, because I grew up in South Jersey and Philly was right across the bridge too. And Philly has that like tough, very tough blue collar mindset as well. Yeah, you guys are like earning what you're doing. Yeah, there's yeah, no yeah. handouts over there, dude. Don't mind earn, going out there and earning and working for it. Like all you people in LA, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Won't say what you're doing for money. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, man, that's that's crazy. And, and so like kind of walk me through a little bit towards like, and I want to go kind of through your whole life and what you have going on now. Mm -hmm. At what point in your life, I mean, you're 6'8", 350? Mm, 365. Sorry, I was 365. When I first got in the league, for some reason I had to be 348 instead of 350. I like my weighing, like who? Damn. 348. That was me. That was my rookie year. Did they bump your height up at all? I was always 6'8". You know what I'm saying? You know how they do that, no, right? Like college, at one point I was like 6'9", but I was always 6'8 and 3 quarters. That was my real height. When in your life, like at what point during your career, as far as like when you were younger, and you're in Jersey, you're going to high school there, were you like, I think I can make this work like I, i'm gonna be a professional football player. It, it, it wasn't it wasn't then it wasn't until i got to miami really yeah I, I come from a small town in new jersey it's called woodbury new jersey and i graduated with like 80 or 90 people so it wasn't a big school oh small school yeah and um so we didn't have people going to the nfl that was like a, a far-fetched thing for us like somebody who went to the nfl might have been like in the early 80s from my school so it wasn't like a common thing and even going to big schools wasn't a common thing either. So 
I played football because it was fun, and my, you know, I got an opportunity to because I was too big, you know, for Pop Warner and stuff. Because because of my height, I was I was always like, if I'm six, I was supposed to play with the nine year olds. You were probably fucking you. kids up, bro. They wouldn't let me. That's the thing. You were so. probably fucking kids <laughs> up, bro. So I, my mom had me wrestling first to teach discipline because I was the only child. Okay. And then she later on, I'm gonna say like around fourth grade, moved me into basketball to learn to work with others and play team sports. And I really liked basketball and started excelling in basketball. And then in ninth grade, I was opportunity to play football because it was no weight clause or anything. Then you, anybody could play. But growing up, I was always like three years behind my size. So if I'm six, I looked like I was nine and things like that. Yeah. And they wouldn't let, they wouldn't let me play with my age group and they wouldn't let me move up to play with those because you know mentally I'm six. Like you know. Of course, I mean? yeah, that doesn't change anything. So yeah, so um You're the guy at the football anyway. games where the parents are like, yo, let me get a birth certificate. Right. Now, now they can play. But back then they didn't let you. Well now it's weird though, because some of these kids, bro, like my I have a seven year old man and you got some of these kids. I put them in the year up for flag football. Mm. But dude, you got some dudes in there, they're like my size. Yeah. And I'm like, the fuck are these feeding these kids? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What the Small fuck are villages. these? Yeah, dude, what the <laughs> fuck? Um, right. So let's talk about the U because you go to the U. Well, let, all right. So before we talk about the U, right? So because my journey went from high school, starting you know in high school in ninth grade, how I got discovered was like somebody who I still don't know to this day. There was a running back that played behind me named Lamar Sturdivant. He was really really good. So somebody mailed in a videotape to the University of Iowa. They seen the tape and they seen him. But then they also said, well, who is this 6'8", you know, or at the time probably 6'6", six, six, you know, guy on the field, and it was me. And so they came to visit him, but then they also asked about me. They also asked to see me, and um, it was after National Signing Day, and uh, they offered me a scholarship to go to a junior college. So I went to Scranton, Pennsylvania, which was like a two-and-a-half-hour drive from where I was based in South Jersey. And they gave me a scholarship there, and then I had to sign a letter of intent. So when I leave... Lackawanna, I now go to the University of Iowa. And I did. I signed that letter of intent. No shit. To do so. The way the world works is I go there my first year. I played defensive end in high school, never played offensive line. So now you have to teach me how to play left tackle and convince me that to to be on O line. I didn't know any O line and so I grew up, you know, Philly Philly was our team, so Reggie White was a big Reggie White fan. Yeah. Defensive end. Yeah. So I'm liking all that Jerome Brown went to the University of Miami. So Reggie I, White's a bad motherfucker, yeah, dude. He was. I was a big fan of that and getting sacks and, and things like that. And now you're telling me to play offensive line. It's like, I don't even know any offensive linemen. So I made a transition. I listened and I made that transition there. However, when I got there, the person who I was going against every day in practice was a Juco All-American. I'm just learning this position. I got this guy every day, like, kicking my butt. I'm having headaches. I'm just like, oh. All right, so let me go back real quick. Go back. So when I first started playing football, my grandma was like, oh, she so used to be playing basketball. Oh, you're not going to like it. You'll, you'll go back to basketball. You're not going to like, you know, football. All right. I played, and then anytime I felt like I didn't like it, I just heard that voice. So then when I, you know, got that scholarship. Motivation right there. Was. I understand. So when I got that um, scholarship to go to Lackawanna, I was like, Grandma, remember you said? And she was like, I know, I'm proud. So I go there, and then I had those moments of, man, I don't know if I want to do this every day, having these. You know, getting your bell rung by this guy who's firing off the ball. Like, it's his second year. He's already a Juco All-American. I'm coming in, never played offensive line. And at that is a left tackle. So now I have to learn how to operate everything from the left side. It was a struggle. And then just one day, the light bulb just went off for me, and I was able to just block him. And then from there, it was just like, that was it. 
And um, how big is that mentally for you? As far as like, you seem like some of those guys, one of those people that you're like, you you saw that as a challenge. Your grandmother's voice is in your head. There was no quitting at that point for you. No, no I way. Want her to be right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shout out, but right. I get it. You know. So um, I didn't want her to be right. So it's like, uh, even though I've had those days, like thinking to myself, like, dang, this is what you really want to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because I was young, like. I got there at 17, I was 17, because my birthday's in September. So I was young, graduated high school at 17. And so when I first couple weeks in college, I'm still 17, because my birthday's in end of September. Still developing, you know what I mean? Turned 18, and you start lifting weights, didn't, wasn't really lifting weights in, college, in high school. So still developing and everything, and then just, it clicked one day, right before a game. You know, they have the O-line and the D-line do drills with each other. Absolutely. And we did, and I was able to like, kind of stone the guy. And my old line coach was like, do it again. And it was like, it happened again. He was like, do it again. He was like, okay, now we're not supposed to go twice. You got me keep going. Like, cause he's so like in shock. Like what just happened here? But it's just, I caught on. And that's just my mind always working too. Like I got to figure out how to. Absolutely. Stop getting my butt kicked. After a while, you might keep kicking your butt. You're going to figure out how to. Yeah, it wasn't about football. It was about pride at that point, right? At that point, yeah. It's like, yeah. okay, we're not going to do this every day. From there, I went through that season and ended up becoming a Juco All-American. No shit. I mean, I went against a Juco All-American every day of practice. I had no choice but to be And this is one. Scranton, Pennsylvania. Scranton, you want to know something fucking hilarious? What's that? Fuck the Rocky River Police. But my fake ID that y'all caught from me was from Scranton, Pennsylvania, bro. bro. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell That's yeah, funny. that shit's hilarious. That it's shit very, is hilarious. There's a lot yep. of hills up there, and it gets cold up there. It's about the Poconos. Yup, so I became a Juco All-American there, right, my first year. And I had one more year to go, and the head coach at Iowa, Hayden Fry, he retired. Yeah. He retired after my first year. <laughs> no So way. now my literature is dissolved. Is that how that works then? So it's based on the coach that brings you in? Yeah. Okay. Because I had no affiliation to the new coach that was coming. And in. I've had this same kind of conversation. I told you I know Cardell Jones. Shout out, CJ, bro. Mm -hmm. Love you. Um, he came in when, I think, Urban. There, there was a switch between Trestle oh, and okay. Urban. And he went from the guy from Trestle's dude to now JT Barrett was Urban's guy right. at that time. Yeah, so I understand, I understand so this, the situation. They, they did try to honor it, um, but by it being a contract between myself and um, Hayden Fry, I now had an option to hear out other teams, you know. But before, nobody could contact me. Before. Which is awesome. Right. So now I get this, you know, you get to a certain level, and then now, like, teams are, you're on their radar. So now I'm like, well, let me see who's all out there. Yeah, you know, yeah. Before, nobody could talk to me, so I had no clue. So when that happened, it allowed me to get letters from other people and them, you know, being able to contact me and things like that, which kind of opened the door up. So then that's how I kind of ended up landing in Miami. Yeah. Which was a blessing. <laughs> you... Um, I think. And then when that moment, when I got a scholarship to University of Miami, I remind my grandmom again. <laughs> Remember when you said I was not going to like it, and I was going to quit and go back to basketball. And she like, yes, I'm so proud of you. This and other. I said, thank you. So that was the next step. How was your support group um, going through that? I mean, obviously, grandma, grandma loves you, and she, she was, she was supporting you. But you know, you know, like, how was your family support group at that time? Oh, very opinionated because for some reason, when I came to Miami, I came here, I had a great time, but I got sick because the, like, the weather changed. It was like, first of all, you, Miami stays up at 5 o'clock, up north closes at 2. Yeah. So I'm used to that. I came here on my visit. It was like November. It was like warm as I don't know what here, like 87 degrees. I don't have all these summer clothes. I came in like with jeans and like a sweater, like, you know what I mean? 
Kind of straight like New Jersey. A cold while I was here. So the first night I hung out party, you had me out till like 5, 36 in the morning. Then I got to get up the next day for walk around campus at 9 a.m. Like, oh, you forget I'm about exhausted. that. These people who took me on a visit, y'all can sleep in. I got to like get up <laughs> and now drag across campus all day long. Sydney's means I dreaded it. So by the time the night came, it was like, I'm going to dinner. I'm going to sleep. Yeah, it was it. They were like, no, we're hanging out. I said, no, take me back to the hotel. I was over it. <laughs> So my trip here was okay, but then when I went to Arkansas, I had some for some reason, like such a great time in Arkansas. I had fun. So Arkansas was like, and then my offensive coordinator on Scranton, he was an alumni from Arkansas, so he was always constantly so he's pushing that. He was constantly in my ear, yeah. right? And I did have a great time. But what's ironic is when I was on that trip in Arkansas, I was with those guys, my host, and we were watching the University of Miami play a makeup game against UCLA. And Miami was an underdog, and they won. So that was like, wow, I was just there, and I was just watching the stadium go crazy. So Miami was always like, because I went to other schools too. I went yeah, to like of Rutgers and everything. But Miami was always like one or two. I was just never sure. Just watching that kind of was like always, I always just remember that moment of us sitting there watching the University of Miami play. And I'm like, wow, we're sitting here watching Miami play. Like, I don't know, it was weird. Just after a while, I ended up being with my coach, my parents, and I was like, are you crazy? Like, why are you picking Arkansas? Like, because I kept saying, oh, I love Arkansas, Arkansas, Because they probably have in their ear at that point your coach as well. The coach was probably, in my ear. Probably pushing that Razorback situation. Though, he's like Miami. My dad is like Miami. My mom was like Miami. So then my mom reminded me, like, all the different players who actually liked that went to Miami. Like, Jerome Brown, because he played for the Eagles. Yep. Um, you had Warren Stebb. You had Michael Irvin. She started naming all these people. Then she looked at the graduation rate. It was like in the mid 70% people who graduate from there and all that stuff. She started just saying all these facts and after a while I was like, okay. She's like, why would you want to go to Arkansas? Like, they was talking to me like, I was crazy. Like, Arkansas, like, and I was like, oh, okay. And then my head coach started talking to me too. Like, you really need to go to Miami. And once again, I just listened to her opinion and, and I went and it was a great decision. So then, like I said, I reminded my grandma when I got the scholarship there, came to Miami, I redshirted the first year. I didn't want to, because now I want to come from JUCO and I wanted to just jump in and play. Yeah, absolutely, I understand that. There was a guy; he was a fifth-year senior. They put me on the depth chart at the at the bottom. Okay. And I worked my way all the way up to rotating at the number one spot with him. I'm about to take this. Like that was my mindset. What's it like when you get that like call up? I mean, you you had already been through it, right? Because like the JUCO situation, obviously, which people really. Just for the record, like, there's some bad motherfucking JUCO players Jeremy out there. Jeremy Shockey, my roommate. My, yeah. He's my college roommate in Miami. He came from JUCO, too. Yeah, some There's of them, they're bad motherfuckers. And, and so what's it like when you get that call up to, like, what's it like when you get that call up to be that, hit the depth chart, and you know what I'm saying? Like, what, what's that like? Wait, you're number one now, bro. Yeah, so it was, you know what's funny is even when I, I had a plan already when I, when I knew I was going to Miami, I looked at, yeah, Mel Kuyper, he had, like, these um, different lists for players. Oh, bro, I know the list. I understand. So he had different players broke down in like positions too, and he ranked them. And me being a junior college, I still was in the 100 tackles somehow. Yeah. I was like 98 or something like you know what I mean. I was no definitely in the 90s, right? And I seen a tackle who was currently at Miami, Joaquin. He might have been in like the 20s or something like that. And I was like, okay, I have to go here, and I need to get up into the 20s somewhere around him to, yeah. like, to match him. But I want to pass him too. But I need to find a way to get in that, you know, in that top 20, um, top 20, top 30. So that was like kind of already a goal of mine that I had set forward in my mind, like 
back in Juco when I knew I was going there. I got there. So my first step was to take this guy's position. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, that, well, that's a goal the whole and time, was, right? Yeah. You know, some people, that's not a goal for them. You know, some guys feel like because they're, they're young or new that they'll wait their turn. I wasn't trying to wait. I was like, yeah. Do you think that mentality that you have particularly right there is like, I think it's special because that's the difference between like being a bulldog and Let getting what you, you need to go. Two right? things going to happen. One, I'm going to take your position. Or two, you're going to become even better because you're fighting harder to keep your position. Yeah, yeah, you know 100%. So at the end of the day, I feel like me coming in was going to make the team better because now you have to fight and play a lot harder to keep your position because I'm coming to get it. And people have to have that mindset. I think a lot of people are like, well, I'm only a freshman. And they feel like they're okay with being a freshman or being a transfer or being new. That, oh, I'm, you know, I'll just wait my turn. I did not care. <laughs> it yeah, it was irrelevant year. to you at that point, bro. I was like, I don't care if it's a senior year. Well, fight me for the position. Like, yeah. may the best man win. And we did. We went, we went back and forth to the point where we were rotating. And I just was like, okay. The fact that I went from third or fourth on the depth chart to now rotating at one, I was like, okay, I'm definitely must be doing my thing. So they called me. So they called me in the office one day. Butch Davis called me in the office. And I'm thinking he's about to congratulate me. Like, yes, you have to start the job. So he sits me down. He's like, Brian, you've been playing really well. <laughs> um, What's that feeling summer? like when you get that conversation and you get you, you hear the praise? And I'm sure there's motivation behind it. What's that praise like at that time feel like for you? It's like okay, you're recognizing my growth and how I'm actually out here. Like, That's gotta feel good. Really putting yeah, putting in work. So it's like. That feels good because you also got to remember, too, come from JUCO, you know, the level changes, but also me being in JUCO, it made me, um, I'm going to say tougher because we didn't have all the equipment for his injuries and things. Yeah. So, like, I remember one of my coaches always saying, my offensive coordinator, um, he always would say, you can't make the club in the tub. Therefore, that means you can't make the team always being injured. Yeah, of course. So I took that to heart. Like, I've never in my career missed a game for no injury, ever. And we'll get there, but I believe it was 80 consecutive. I got suspended. That's how I, <laughs> I read that. But it wasn't an injury. But I bet you that party was dope as fuck. <laughs> Shout out Fred's food. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> right. And then they started to pay me for that suspension, too, because I didn't get charged for anything. That's um, fucking hilarious. But um, I read that shit. That's, that's funny as fuck. That's what messed up my whole streak, because other than that, it would have continued on. Like. Well, that's it, man. You see a lot of these guys with that, and and like I think your durability. I think that's one of the biggest factors in football. Period. I feel like that foundation started in junior college for me. Yeah. Cause now when I got here, you know, I would see a lot of guys in the training room all the time, and I I only came in there to get my ankles taped, and like once a week whenever we had the chiropractor come in and do adjustment, and I was out of there. I didn't stay in the training room at all. Yeah, you're not hanging out in there uh, like. Did you no see a lot of guys that you would go in there, not to name names, but like was there? Was, yeah. Did you see guys that like on a regular basis? That was always in there. Like something's always wrong. It was like. What is wrong? Like, what's wrong now? Like, you know what I'm saying? Do you have certain players that were just stayed in the training room? Do you think um, so? Like, you're you're in Miami. You're playing. You're doing really well. Was there a particular time where you're like, I might go to the NFL here? Well, definitely after after I um, after I redshirted. So, Bush Davis had called me and asked me to redshirt. Did I want to? By the way, we're all Browns fans. Okay. Shout out Butch Davis. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to get to that, too. Yeah, we'll get to that. Let's get to that. Uh-oh. You know, I didn't really feel like hearing that. But then, you know, talking to my family and everybody else, it kind of calmed me down and convinced me, like, it is a better thing. You'll know the play's better. You'll be able to operate faster, things like that. Okay, I did it. So I reassured it. So now the next year, it's like, okay, this is my position at this point. Like, 
this is my position. I'm going to take this position and I'm not giving it up. So we're going to go in here, this, you know, spring ball and then go into, you know, training camp. And it was like, okay, I don't know who's going to try to battle me for this position, but they're not getting it. And I won it. And then, but that's um, the mentality I feel like you have to go in with, right? Some people just go, I don't know what mentality some other people have. I know what I have. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I just went in and I just kind of like, I ended up getting a position. And then from there, I kind of just did, my whole thing was I never wanted to be called out in meetings for not doing your job. Yeah. So I feel like I was more or less making sure I did what I was supposed to do so you couldn't stop the film and say, da -da -da, like nothing. Which I has got to be like the most embarrassing thing ever, right? It can be. Our, our coach, Coach Kehoe, was, he was fun though. So he, he would make it funny at times too. But I just, I just hated that in general. I hated that in JUCO. I just hated it in general. Like, don't call me out. Let me just make sure I do my job. So that's how I was looking at it, not realizing I was doing my job really well. Mm -hmm. I was just looking at it as, I'm just going to do my job so you can't say anything to me, and I'm going to just get done what I need to get done, what you told me to do. Yeah. Always how I looked at it. So I was doing my job, apparently. And really a big breakout game for me was my junior year against Florida State. You had a guy named Jamal Reynolds who was uh, an elite pass rusher, was getting a lot of sacks. I was under the radar, you know, my first season. You, you weren't really familiar with me. You just you knew they had a decent tackle. And it ended up becoming a breakout game. I remember the next day after the game, we won. We hadn't beat them in five seasons. It ended up becoming a breakout game for myself, Jeremy Shockey and Ken Dorsey. Oh, Jeremy Shockey. Yeah. We were talking about uh, Saints. Jeremy Shockey, is that correct? Saints and Giants. Giants, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. It became a breakout game for us three, and I remember the next day, I think we were at Denny's, and my mom had the newspaper, and she was reading it, and it highlighted us three. And that became like a breakout game, and then I guess like people started paying attention to me then. And um, How's that feel when that's going on? Is that, like a, is that like a special moment, or is that like an expected moment for you at that well, point? Well, no, it was, it was a special moment because it was like, oh, wow, they're acknowledging an offensive lineman. That wasn't something that... The most underappreciated players in exactly. the NFL, bro. So me starting that position was already like, remember I told you, I was like, offensive line, I don't even know any. Like, yeah. Like you never got any. Still to this day, I feel like offensive line. No, they've gotten better. But I remember, like, me playing, I used to be like, they only show you if you jump off sides or there's a penalty, they'll show a zoom in on offensive line. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> Man, Number shoot. whatever it is, here yeah, it, it is. is. Yeah. Zooming on you then. It's like, but they've gotten better at that now. Because, like, Trent Williams, they do a great job. You know, promoting how good he's playing. Offensive line, I feel like, is like the most, like I said, it's the most underappreciated thing in the whole in the whole world. And I love all the stories of like quarterbacks and how they take care of their offensive linemen. I, you know, I don't really, I haven't really had a quarterback. Who you has never had that. So you got no love. Far was the closest, but the other ones, I just was missing out on these quarterbacks who was. was <laughs> the like, I'm out here like, hey, like, quarterbacks were cheap or like. Hey, yo, bro, can I get a Rolex, man? I've been protecting I, I you, dog. Damn. None of this. The one time Joe Flacco had, like, gave the team stuff after the Super Bowl, I was a free agent, so I wasn't in the locker room. Yeah. So I wasn't there. But you just won but the Super Bowl I, with him. Yeah, but I was, I was, I had left, and I was visiting other teams. I wasn't present. Okay, so okay. He did it while I was gone. But then when I came back, I never got, <laughs> I never got a gift. So it was like, I just missed it. I missed that window because I was, you know, I had a two-year deal with them. So my deal was done after the Super Bowl. And then now I was in San Diego taking visits. I was here in Miami. Yep. And then I just was like, just being comfortable with, you know, the Ravens, even though Ray Lewis and Ed Reed and all them was gone. I'm like, I'm gonna just come back here. I'm familiar with it. So when I came back, he had already did that while I was gone. So, what it, what it, what is it? Um, there should have been a moment like, oh yeah, since you're back, let me get this for you. Didn't happen. Yeah, did you hear that, Joe Flacco? Right. According to me, you owe uh, you owe my boy Bryant's, you know, maybe like a dinner or something. 
steak dinner. I think that's reasonable. At this point, the value has went up. Yeah, actually, there's interest involved, actually, at this point. You actually own the entire fucking restaurant. <laughs> You're at the U. Is it the Rose Bowl? Yep. It's the Rose Bowl against Nebraska. Um, kind of walk me through the aura of the game, the, the, the mentality going into it. Ooh. And, like, what is it like, dude, to play in, in front of that many fans? Like, I, I, I always, like, it's crave that like we so played much. in front of their fans because we had, like, a small pocket of hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember seeing a sea of red in, like, this corner of, like, orange, orange or green. <laughs> wow. This whole stadium is all, like, red and white. Yeah. It was, like, it was, like one, like. Little slice of pie. <laughs> Dude, literally. I actually watched like a replay uh, late last night. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Is... Yeah. So basically it was like an away game for us. But we, we were able to like, you know, to, to do good. And you and in those situations, you want to get out and score early and quiet the crowd down, which we were able to do. You yeah. Know, make some big plays. But even leading up to that game, we, were run, we ran into them at the um, Disneyland. Oh, And there was like shit. some words. And then there was also like um, a thing we did Jay Leno show together. Yep. And it, it was some words there and like a rap battle. And we oh, so <laughs> it was going down. It was going down. We bumming into them in places. <laughs> and then um, I have a picture because in college, Ed Reed, myself, and Brendan Carey, we used to do like little um, little parties together, and we would get on the mic and, and host the party. Well, somehow in LA, we we found ourselves at a club leading up to the game, like earlier in the week. Mm -hmm. Some of those guys were there. We were on the mic like. You know, the, the MC was trying to be, like, nice and go back and forth. Of course, of course. Like, Nebraska. <laughs> we, we was yelling, he said, you can't say that guy. We, like, we don't care. We were just being rude. but. What's it care. like playing with Ed Reed, bro? Ed was like the. I mean, because Ed is one of my favorite all-timers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because he's just such a savage, bro. And Ed was like the pops of the group, though, because he was always like the old soul out of everybody. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was Ed. He was a big leader, like, very vocal, too. And it, it could Knew how to motivate everybody, you know. So that was like really dope for him. And me, me, I was more of I lead by example. I don't really, I ain't yeah. gonna say a lot. I'm just, I'm just going out here do what I have to do, and you'll respect it. But it is definitely was a more vocal person. And what was dope about that was like, it was a group of us that were like friends, like Joaquin Gonzalez, Ed. They all had came home to Jersey with me. Um, Vernon Carey, like the DBs, the old. Vernon Carey, you just threw it back for me right oh, there. Yeah. yeah, Vernon Carey. Wow, dude. Like the DBs and the O-line, we all actually, like, now I think about it, we hung out an odd group, but, yeah, like, the big guys and, the, like, the smaller guys. And the DBs and the O-line all had, like, a connection, and we yeah. all hung out. Yeah, Marquise Fitzgerald, you had Ron Berg, you had all of us that we all hung with them a lot for some reason. I don't know why, now I'm thinking about it. What is the What do those relationships mean to you now when looking back? They're still there, so, I mean, it's dope, but also just lets me know that, you know, bonding outside of the football field helps you play a lot better on the field because you want to make sure that you have your teammate, your brother, however you look at each other, you want to make sure you have their back. Yeah. You know, so put each other and put everybody in a better position to, to win. So we just definitely had each other's back on and off the field in every aspect. We had a few scuffles off the field, you know, with other people, but we had each other's back and make sure everybody was good. We even had basketball girls. They were hung out with us, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were yeah. very protective over the guys, too, so. So you're in the game. You're in this. You're in the Rose Bowl, which mm -hmm. is like, is that mind-blowing at that point? You're, you're, in, you're in the fucking Rose Shaq Bowl, bro. Shaq was on the sideline. Yeah, dude, Bryant, you're, you're, you're in the Rose Bowl, and you have Shaq on your sideline. Yeah. Shout out Shaq. We love Shaq. Right. Everybody yeah. loves Shaq. I think what's most impressive about the entire thing is that, like, bro, I, I, I've watched the Rose Bowl a bazillion times, right? Mm -hmm. 
and then like to, to meet somebody that's actually played in it is, is like super special. But that game, anyways, it had like a, I mean, there's a ton of build up on it. I mean, let's let's be real. I've, I've watched yeah, a lot Eric of it. Crouch, who was like a really good quarterback who, what they ran like the option or something like that. So I remember all week long. I remember the defense trying to practice like stopping it or slowing it down. But we realized when we got on the field that our players were a lot faster than theirs. They were moving a slower than we yeah, expected. Yeah, 100%. So our game speed was faster than theirs, and, and that was like played a big part in, you know, the success of our You team. even watch the replays, and you could see the difference in the teams. I mean, to be to be totally fair, like that was kind of an unfair game. I mean, like y- y'all y'all had that. But, yeah. that. but that was a battle either way, man. I mean, you got, you're dealing with a bunch of corn-fed dudes, dude. I mean, it's, it's Nebraska, right? Right. You come out of that with a win. Mm. You come out of that with a Rose Bowl win. That's 2001, okay? Next year's the draft. Did you know how well you were about to do in that draft? I mean, um, and just to, to give everybody a little semblance, 2002 first round pick, seventh pick of the draft. Is that correct? I mean, I mean holy shit, Bryant. What is going through your mind here? I had just won the Outland Trophy. So that's the best interior lineman. Yeah. I won that trophy. And then, like, this, different accolades were coming up. I became a two-time All-American. I was Sports Illustrated Player of the Year as an offensive lineman. I finished eighth in the Heisman voting. Jesus Christ, as an offensive lineman, yeah. everyone. So coming to the draft, you know you have your Mel Kuyper again, who has his projections. And he projected me to go to number four to San Diego. Okay. So and that's San Diego Chargers, yep. Chargers. So at the time, I figured I was somewhere in the top ten. You just never know where you're going to land based off a team's need. They projected me number five, I mean, to San Diego. Number four was Buffalo. Okay. Just didn't have no clue until the day of, honestly. Really? Um, you had another offensive lineman who actually went before me. He went number four to Buffalo, which I'm kind of glad he went there and not me. They play outside. <laughs> yeah, I mean. And I ended up in Minnesota, which is cold too, but they have a dome. Oh, so, that's, um, that's a game changer. You, yeah. you don't even, as like an outsider, you don't, you don't even think about that. Oh. You don't even think about that. I do. Yeah, I believe if, that. If I wasn't going to San Diego, then I definitely want to be somewhere like that's can pretty comfortable considering I'm coming from Miami you know what I mean so yeah so playing in the dome is like even weather you know at least eight times a year like you know what I mean like weather that you don't have to worry about rain or cold or anything it's just, yeah, it's gotta sweat it. 72 degrees you know on game day at home so I, I feel like that worked in my favor and then I you know I went to Minnesota and then I had a 90 what 98 day holdout damn yeah. for the contract were they, if you want to go into it, were they tripping? Yeah, they were tripping because, okay, Roy Williams went to number, Roy Williams, the, um, the DB. Yeah. He went number eight. He went to pick after me. He went to Dallas. Dallas did his contract before mine. My only thing was, okay, he's number eight, I'm number seven, so I should make more than him. Yeah. Like, he got overpaid. You, I it don't matter. It's the overpaid. market. Exactly. I would have never known he got overpaid had my contract was done first, but you didn't do it. So you have me in number six, which is Ryan Sims at Kansas City. We both are in the same boat. Like six and seven don't want to pay because they feel like eight was overpaid. We're both holding out. Ironically, you know how each team um, plays and practices against another team? Of course, yeah, yeah. The Minnesota Vikings actually practices against Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, no fucking way. So in the midst of that, somehow they get Ryan Sims' contract done. You leave me still sitting out there. Now I'm out here by myself. Yeah, that's bullshit. At that it, was like, point. it was like we were like the last two. Yeah. We were the last two. So I'm out here just by myself, and they're still like not budging on my contract. My agent found out that there was collusion that took place 
between Kansas City and the Minnesota Vikings. And once we once we found that out, put a lawsuit against them. Of course, why would you not? And they knew that they were wrong, and they knew that I was going to win. So they was ready to pay up and give a contract that I was deserved. I just had to drop the lawsuit in order for the contract to go through. What? What does that change for you now? In the midst of that, though, people got to understand this business. So I feel like outside people should not mind my business because, what I, you know, when I was holding out, you had players speaking out like, he has a play to play down in football, but he's worried about money. But guess what? If this was the, the tables was turned and Minnesota Vikings wanted to do me any type of way, bring me in and cut me the next day or something, yeah. what, then what? You know what I'm well, saying? Well, yeah, and they, so have, and they have the freedom to do don't that. Don't speak publicly on my business because it's my business. I don't like how you – know I, I don't think it's fair that and, – and everybody says this. They're like, oh, well, they make all this money – they should. They should know. I don't. I don't think anybody's should salary should be to be, should be public business. I have one at the time. I'm trying to, well, I'm here's trying to get one that's now. what kind of leads me to this though, man. Because like you weren't getting paid off your likeness in in college, right? So like, what's your opinion there? Because like I know how that nil stuff works. I've I have, I have a lot of friends that are very close to that, and they, in fact, even run organizations with that. What's your opinion there? Good and bad, just depending on the individual. Because mm-hmm. me personally, and I know Ed Reed and a couple of other guys, if we were in school and that was happening. We would have done more events, like getting that type of money. Yeah, of course. We would have done more things that involve the team outside of the coaches to bring the team closer together, because then that adds more to the team. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That adds more bonding. That just adds more things to the team. Where a lot of these guys are now separating themselves from the team because they have this money, and they're getting their own property, and they're just showing up for work. But then they're going back home, and they're already acting like as if it's as if they're in the league, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So they just show up for work, but they're not really engaging or bonding with their teammates, and I feel like that's very important. Which is, I won a Super Bowl with a team who was big on the bonding and connecting. And then even the, even with the Vikings, the best record I had is when Brett Favre got there. It was all about the team bonding and connecting and being on one accord on and off the field, you know what I mean? So that's a big part of it that – I've seen in every level that yeah. gets you very far. So you got drafted, yeah, 2 first round, seventh pick mm-hmm. total. And you, were, you, were, you said you were holding out, so right. we had gone through that and everything. Then you eventually get a contract, right? Yeah. Is that, so, so kind of walk me through how that actually ended up coming about. Like I said, my agent found out somehow that they, there was some collusion that took place, and, uh, you know, we sued them, and then – they were willing to, you know, give the contract that I asked for. Were you? Are you willing talk. to talk about like what was the collusion? Or are you allowed to talk well, about two that? Two teams aren't allowed to um, to communicate with each other about one player. Like it's it should only be communication between me and the Vikings. But they were having conversations with Kansas City regarding me and somehow trying to get me in to get my contract done. And that's probably how Ryan Sims got his contract finished too. But that's not allowed to take place. Okay, okay. So it's like, and is that simply because, like, I'm, I'm assuming the rules. Like, if you're an unrestricted free agent, you can talk to whoever you want. But at this point, you're a drafted player with the Minnesota Collusion Vikings. Collusion is two teams aren't allowed to get together and discuss any type of period techniques of trying to work on anybody else's strategy of getting players. To oh, get their okay. So like that can't even like be a con- that, it's not no. it can't even just be a conversation. No, I understand. Okay. So especially when you have. Pick six and seven, who are <laughs> six is Kansas City and seven is Minnesota, and now y'all are working together to get our contracts done to meet y'all's needs. That's not allowed. That's kind of fucked up. That's pretty fucked up. So, so you eventually get a contract. I do. But what is your feeling like once you get it? Are you still like? My feeling is my welcome. <laughs> my welcome to 
The NFL and the Minnesota Vikings probably wasn't the best because I was going through a dispute for 98 days of my rookie season. And I'm pretty sure the fans, you know, were excited to, you know, to have me come in on time. And I spent 98 days of that season being at home going through a contract dispute. And from, the, for, you know, for the fans, they don't understand the business side of it. But for me, I understood the business side of it. I had different, I had Jim Brown, the, the late Jim Brown. He came, he talked to me and gave me encouragement on standing my ground and this is business and learning that you're no longer in college, this is business. You have to stand on your business and, and I did that. He was a legend of a guy and I'm a forever Browns fan. Yeah, he and, definitely is. And so like to, to hear that is super cool that he was kind of guiding other guys um, in that situation and, and being helpful. I, lo I love, well, I love hearing that. Let's go back to the Browns real quick. I, I go ahead. Some, so back, back in college, right, my, going into my senior year, Butch Davis, I was thinking about leaving early. You know, I found like, I, oh, you'll be a first-round pick. This and I said, oh, I could possibly leave early. Butch Davis calls me in his office, sits down to me. He's like, I feel like this team is going in the right direction. We only lost one game that season, second game of the season. I feel like this team is going in the right direction. Definitely need you here. You could be the, you know, the missing piece for us to win the national championship next season. All that. I agree with him. I said, you know what, you're right. I'm going to stay with the team and all this. Two weeks later, we get a meeting. Everybody comes to the locker room. Randomly, we have a meeting. We're like, okay, don't know what the meeting's about. We're sitting around. He's telling like this long story. I'm like, we're all looking around like, where is this story going? Talking about life, just all type of things. Have no clue where the story's going. And then like the last 30 seconds is like, so I'm basically going to decide to go <laughs> and take my talents to Cleveland and become the head coach there. And I'm looking like, what? I'm the same person who's just in your, yeah. in your um, office and you're telling me I need to stay because I'm the missing piece. Now in my mind, I'm like, oh my God, what's going to happen? Like, a new coach is going to come? Like, who's going to come in here? And now it's my senior year. Like, now, like, all those things I was thinking about. So that was an important part I wanted to add because that's how we kind of went to war for um, Larry Coker. A bunch of us had um, went up to Paul D., who at the time was the athletic director. And it was like myself, Ed Reed, Mike Rome, Joaquin Gonzalez, a group of us went up there and kind of like, this is who stayed, we want. Like, this is who we want, this is who we need. And then I feel like, he gave us such a good poker face. I was like, I'll even go to the supplemental draft if I have to. Yeah, <laughs> like just, whatever just it takes. Just say something just to like try to get it to work, and it worked. So yeah. We, so we can move back to this. Well, that, that was my Cleveland. No, no, no. Y'all didn't miss anything because Butch Davis didn't do dick for, for your boy over here with the Browns. So, uh -oh. you know, <laughs> no offense, but offense. And I love when people say no offense because it's always like, shout out Greg Manuel. He always used wait to tell me offense, that. Wait for the offense. Yeah, wait for the offense because that shit's about <laughs> to happen. Did you have a welcome to the NFL moment? I asked a cliche question, but I got to ask. Not really. But yeah, because you don't, you're, you were like, I've, I've seen some of your tapes. I mean, Bro, you came into the NFL, and you, you know, in a lot of ways, you took it by storm. Number one, you were just always like, you you seem to be a guy, and I, I could be totally wrong here, but you seem like somebody that watched a lot of film mm -hmm. and really studied your opponent and studied your craft and really worked on it. Yeah. Um, how big is film in the NFL? Oh, it's very big because it gives you like a lot of tendencies of what people like to do or how often they do things. It, it helps you out a lot because now you can mentally be prepared. And you know that down the distance when certain things may happen, so film is needed. Is there anybody that like you would go up against, and, and, and I'm not talking about like a scared thing, but I mean, is there anybody you went up against and you were, you were like, I have to prepare a lot more for this? When this I first person. got in the league, his name is Kabir Kabaja Biamila. <laughs> okay. Um, Green Bay. Yep. They call him KGB. Yep. With him and pass protection, I had to because he was very slippery, good with his hands. He was a veteran. He was he was like maybe four years older than me, four or five years older than me. So he just. 
and he was good at pass protection. Run blocking was different, but pass pro, he was very slippery. So him, I like had to like really study him. Other than that, other players, plus I played them two times a year. Other yeah, players, that's right, because those were your rivals. Those were yeah. your rivals. The Packers-Vikings rivalry, as we all know, is, is huge. Right. To this day, it's, it's a big thing. Still, it still is. And Kirk Cousins, we hope you get better soon. Oh, absolutely. Other players, for me, the, the better the player was, the better. I wish it wasn't like that, but the better the player was, the better I played. When I wish I could have just played at that level. All the, <laughs> all the time. time, yeah. It's like, I don't know why. It's like, the better the person is, the better I'm going to play. Because you're, like, motivated probably behind it, right? You're like, I can't let I this dude so, yeah. punk me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, In a so kind of a way. Those, that's how I did good because I played good against good players. And, yeah, so that was this is something I always wish to this day that I just was more consistent of just everybody just play like that. But it was just the better they were, the better I played. Yeah, that's like very interesting. And you played also with in Minnesota towards the end of, I don't even want to call it the end of Brett Favre's career because it wasn't, you know, but maybe I guess towards the end. But what was it like playing with a guy like that? So it was funny because, um, you know, we heard the rumors and then we, we were actually on lunch break and like the news was following him, following his car, like with the OJ Simpson. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Following him to the, you know, the, the locker room, to the facility. And we were, I remember us being in the cafeteria and they had the news on. And we were like looking up, we were like, see like helicopters just following this car and it was making its way to us. So, you know, basically after, you know, lunches, like you go down, you change and you have practice. We were like, oh my God, we think he's on the way. And we go out to practice, so then you go in the locker room. I forget, I think Brooks Bollinger, somebody else, their number changed. And then like, like you walk into the locker room, like he didn't have number four no yeah, more. Yeah, he had yeah, a different yeah. Number. And we're like, it, it must be happening because it's oh, like no a, shit. a number change, but you're just peeping out like just like obvious like things that just like it must be happening. Because it's I mean, number, it's number four, right? At lunch from from our walkthrough to lunch, and then now your numbers changed. Not you're not four anymore that quick. And then um, and they can give your number them. away though, right? Like if they so choose, they can say. Well, for somebody like that, he's they'll gonna, give he's them away gonna, no matter what. You don't have to buy it; he's going to get his number. Yeah. Um, So I wanted to touch on something with you that's, I think, really important here. We always talk about mental health a little bit here, Mm -hmm. right? I'm just like, a lot of my viewers know I'm just like a naturally depressed person. It's just the way it is. So what do you do to get out of that? You you can't make it home. You know something, man? I fight for every moment of happiness. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I just, it's just the way it is, man. And, 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 and you know, I mean, I mean, the drinks, that, that so don't never help. That's the game changer for me. It definitely is. It, 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 and it relieves a lot of anxiety, things it like does. that. Up until a couple it weeks ago. good endorphins. Dude, I feel like uh, I work out and I have a million times more energy. Yeah. I feel better. And uh, once I started really crushing working out more, I stopped smoking pot, which I love smoking weed. It's like my favorite thing ever. But is there anything wrong with smoking weed? No. In my opinion, no. I don't really know anybody who's done anything really like harmful or tragic from smoking weed. You know, it's uh, so I'm the biggest pop marijuana proponent Mm. of of all time you know i think the biggest thing is that like i was on lexapro and it kind of helped like even you out level you out make you maybe maybe feel a little bit better Mm. or whatever it might be there's no like uh, stimulant effects or anything like that but like just all in all your your mood's a little better my Mm. creative my creativity was gone you know, and throughout the thing. So, so creativity was going on? Yeah, man, it sucked. Oh, okay. Yeah, man, it sucked. I was just, I didn't want anything better for myself. I was complacent, and I hate being complacent. Oh, because I felt like when people smoke weed, they become sometimes a little more creative. Well, then I got off the Lexapro, and then I started smoking more weed or just on a more regular basis, and that's exactly what happened. I felt better. I was doing the right thing okay. and things like that. You know, I had a couple conversations with a couple people between my business partner and some other people, 
And I was like, you know, what, like let me let me try it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I and I've been doing really good the last couple of weeks, things like that. I always try to keep myself really in check, you mm-hmm. know, with with what's going on up there. So right now, my big thing is like, I try to give myself things to look forward to. That's what keeps me really in check, right? If I don't give myself to look forward to, whether it's that next moment mm-hmm. or whether it's a week from that from now or whatever it might be. But I also don't want to be hooked to any sort of like anything. What about therapy or or having a journal to be able to get some of these thoughts? off your mind and on paper or out of your chest and and spoken to them you know verbally and have somebody kind of point out some of the areas because i feel like that's another thing that in my foundation i have b major foundation yeah and um, part of my mission statement is mental health awareness and therapy i feel like helps some people you know to get over some yeah because you're not keeping it bottled up you're able to release and get some feedback at the same time it's everything to me i go to therapy every week okay good um so you're proactive. I couldn't do without it. So I, I went through this bad breakup, man, and it mm-hmm. was it was all my fault. I mean, the whole situation. I lied. I was a, I was a piece of shit. I was just a loser, okay. man. You can hate yourself all day long mm-hmm. for it, right? And I can never change that, right? right Even right, with a right. chance, you couldn't change how you made somebody feel or whatever right, it right. might be, right? So that was like kind of the base of the podcast. Is I had a lot of a lot of people in that particular space that believed in me and did mm-hmm. a lot of things for me, and I just did them wrong, mm-hmm. you know. And so like now, when you get that the so opportunity to talk was, to that, so what do you think was in you? that was causing you to make those decisions that you felt like you were doing people wrong, but what were you like going through? Like, what? Well, I grew up with, you know, you just had met my father mm. and you know, everybody in the background, you could hear him screaming and yelling and acting a fool. And he's a, he's a hardcore alcoholic and, mm. and that's what he is. And um, he's a liar, mm. you know, and that's, and that's what he is. And I took that. Um, it's just the way I grew up, okay. you know, but I don't use that as an excuse for who I am now. Right. You can't. Right. And, and, and the bottom line being is, you know, I, I that's, that's who I was for the longest time. And, th- and that person that I was after that, I like, bro, I, Brian, I had to k- literally kill that other person right. in order so to get there. What got you to the point where, because you're using the word was. Yeah. So what got you to the point where you needed to make that correction? So after the breakup, I had started using cocaine, alcohol, and Xanax. So I'd like, mm-hmm. you know, I, and it was never like during the day or nothing. I'd go to work when I was working at a car right. dealership. I'd, I'd do my thing. I'd get off of work, I'd go to the bar, I'd get drunk, I'd do a bunch of coke, mm. and then the next morning I'd have crazy anxiety, so I'd mm. crush it with Xanax, okay. right, and it became this vicious, like, six, seven-month cycle, mm. you know what I mean? It was it was just crazy brutal, but I started going to therapy, I started talking to somebody, that was, like, the mm. biggest thing for me, and then, you know, more recently, even, I just kind of, and you know, it's it sucks, I've been making amends with people, mm. um, but you really can't, I, n- I never expect a response from anybody, mm. does that make sense? But, but it's always I mean, good to. But it, it feels, feels good, good to get you to be, man, to be able to be, you know, to, to put the pride aside and, and and do your part and just drop. And I'll tell you what, man. I had one recently. That there was this girl that was a friend of my of my ex's, mm-hmm. um, and uh, her name was Molly, and she is just just a phenomenal person. But prior to the breakup, she we had a conversation. She kept asking me, "But are you happy?" Which is how the podcast name kind of came about. Okay. And um, but I had recently apologized to her. And, like, I'd written that message a million times. Mm. And I shortened it this past time, dude, because, like, I was like, man, nothing I say is going to fix this. Mm. Right? I just, need to, I just need to get out there that I'm, that I'm sorry mm. for it. And I'll tell you what, I sent that message. And I, I saw that she saw it, and there was no response. And I never expected one. But, like, the bottom line was that I felt so much better. Right, that's what I was going to say. After I said that. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, at least you know. 
you know, I hate myself on a regular basis and about she ready, it. And then due time, when she's ready to come around, she'll acknowledge it. Absolutely, man. And, and if not, that's cool, too. But, like, the bottom line being with the whole thing is, like, the therapy thing is so important. And, and for everybody out there that hasn't done that or anything, you, you know, you may go to a therapist and you may not find that right person the first time. Right. And that's what I want people to realize is that you may not click with that um, therapist, but try some others and some person, somebody you'll eventually click with and you'll feel comfortable you know, with sharing your story and they'll be able to help you out a lot and you'll feel a lot better because I'm trying to make people feel like it's okay I'm um, going to a therapist. I feel like people attach therapy and crazy and that's yeah. not the case. It's like, no, therapy and healing because that's what you want to do. Have you ever heard the Dave Chappelle quote? It's, uh, you know, the worst thing in the world is to call somebody crazy, you know, and, the, and what he says is, you know, I quote, unquote, I don't understand this person, so they're crazy. And then he goes on to say, you know, that's dismissive, that these people mm -hmm. aren't crazy, you know what I mean? They, they, yeah. they come from an environment that might be a little sick. And I, and I love that. That's one of my favorite quotes ever. And, and, I, and I love when I get to speak with somebody specifically even like you. Mm. I mean, you're a big dude. Mm. You define manly, right? Mm. And, like, for you to talk about that is super special. So I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you oh, even saying it's that. It's very important because um, I had my first mental health panel um, in April of this year at the Hard Rock. And I had myself up there. I had two therapists. I had um, a doctor, and then I had two reality stars, and myself, and um, Brandon, uh, I Am Athlete Podcast, uh, Brandon uh, oh, Marshall. Oh, Martin, Martin, yeah, be, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was scheduled to be there, but his flight was delayed. It was like a storm that day. Yeah. I don't know if you were here in South Florida. It was like a, a mini hurricane or something happened, but he was scheduled to be a part of a tutor. But um, being up there and everybody kind of telling their story and just different things, uh, what they deal with or go through, and whether going to therapy or not, it had my other friends, you know, hit me the next day reaching out and sharing what they were going through because they now see me get up there and speak or seeing other people get up there and speak and realize, oh, I'm not the only one who goes through things. Like Everybody goes through stuff in life. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It's on how you react to things, you know, is, is the difference. So just being able to just get better and heal, you know, so instead of saying, like, just don't make that depression place home. You know what I'm saying? Cause you can't. People, People get too comfortable and used to that and make that home. And I'm always that person who is quick to, when I know what the problem is, I, I'm quick to go to the solution. Like, we know what the issue is. Let's fix it. Like, yeah, why are we going to talk about the problem? There's no reason. The I'm the I'm same way, bro. Say, how many you know times do is. I say that? Let's right. Stop talking about the problem. What's the solution? Get to the solution. So that, yeah. that's me right away. Like, all right, it's a problem. Let's, let's go ahead and fix it. So that's opened my eyes up to my friends. Um, me adding mental health awareness onto my mission statement in, like, 2014 or 15 was because there was two former players who I'm friends with who um, was going through things in life and, you know, one found themselves arrested, one found themselves getting Baker Act. And I went down to Jackson into the um, psych ward and I sat down and had to talk to them because they didn't feel comfortable talking to any of their family because they feel like their family members can relate, but they feel like I can relate because we came from the same Absolutely. So I sat there and I talked and I realized that was the first time it really hit me in my face like, dang, this is serious. I hear people talk about mental health. But, like, I'm now in a situation where I'm sitting here talking to a friend and trying to, like, kind of coach them through a situation. And then even went far as to got on the phone with the NFLPA about them getting treatment and how they sent them off to two different locations to help, you know, with the mental health, which I feel like they could do a better job at. Absolutely. And, and, and just for everybody out there, I, I had um, I'd been arrested on June no, it was May. No, okay, so this is what happened with me. I, I'd gone through this stint, and it wasn't even the end of my bout, right? Mm -hmm. It was May. I had the protection order hearing in May, May 16th, I think, of 22. And then May 24th, 22, I OD'd. 
Okay. And because I was trying to kill myself, it was plain and simple. And then after that, um, I'd gotten out of the uh, so I'd gone to the hospital. Then they put me in a psych ward for like a couple hours, mm. which I don't know how that really like that space is just such an odd space to occupy because it's more of a prison than it is like a like a space to like help you heal. If that makes sense. It, I mean, I can't really see how. I don't know how anybody gets better with no space. with no sunlight coming yeah. in. Like, um, I don't understand it. So so that happened, and then I got home. Uh, this is the first time I'm telling this. But I got home that that um, that next day. So I was I was pink slipped, fifty one fifty, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and uh, I get home that next day, and the Lakewood police call me, and that was I had sent that picture like a couple like a week or so prior to. Oh, okay. And they're like, hey, we have a we have a warrant for you. And I'm like, y'all tripping, man. I just got out of the psych ward, right. you know. So they're like, no, no, no. And I was like, all right, I'll come down there. And they arrest me, book me, release me. And then um, it was a couple months later that I actually didn't, I didn't even, I didn't, nothing changed really at that point. Because, you know, for a couple of days, you're like, oh, I'm good, man. I'm mm -hmm. good, you know, you know, and, and I wasn't good. And it wasn't until I had something really hanging over my head that I was like, okay, you, you have to figure this out. Gotcha. You know, and then, you know, my son obviously suffered in, in that too, but... Mm. You know, we come out on this side, and, and it's okay to look back and stuff like that. But, like, the mission of this podcast, which is why we call it But Are You Happy, right? Because mm. we meet people that have done well in their life and made millions of dollars and done great things and have these amazing accomplishments. But are you happy? Like, Because right. that's, that's what matters. Mm -hmm. That's that's it. So for you to speak on that is – I love I that. That's very important. I've I, I seen recently, too, it's just other things I want to do because I've seen, um, like, yesterday or the day before, a uh, former NBA player, can't remember his name, but his wife did an interview on TMZ about her having OnlyFans, and she was basically just saying how, like, she kind of took on the role of, you know, doing things to, you know, generate money because she felt like he was depressed since the, you know, since COVID because mm -hmm. he never had a call back. So he was forced into retirement that way. And by me hearing her say that, it's like I need to start a program where you're helping people transition from work into life after. Absolutely. You know and that could be, you know, it could be sports. It could be even in the music career, just certain careers where you're used to being this one thing for a long time and then now it's over. And how do you transition? Teaching people how to transition because a lot of people do fall into depression. So how did that? But a lot of people don't know how. A lot of people don't know the avenues to maybe reach out to somebody, to be yeah. able to talk to somebody. Like there are resources. There are, but people don't know how to find them. So it's like I want to try to use my platform to push that narrative and give people like, you know, access to people who they can talk to and communicate with. And then there's even a program. I have a company that we did accelerator program with uh, Comcast. And one of the um, startups, they had something for athletes where it helps them transition from the game to careers afterwards. It help you transition from your that sport or whatever to a career post, you know, whatever sport you played or whatever, or college or whatever. So I feel like that was very important to somehow try to connect them, you know, with the NFLPA just because a lot of people need it you i mean and, and everybody just just so we're clear we're talking about bryant you could you could look at his resume on paper and you could go amazing college football player super bowl champion you know what i mean um i, I mean let's let all pro oh nine right pro bowler um you know it all looks amazing right mm -hmm. and then for you man when you did end up getting out of the nfl and i'm sure we'll backtrack but when you did end up getting out of the NFL, was that transition a son of a bitch? Um, 
I was very, I was very social while I was in the NFL. <laughs> so <clears throat> I kind of like had an idea of I can just leverage my relationships with a lot of people yeah. to do things. So like starting a booking agency, everybody doesn't have a personality I have. I was very social. I when it was when I wasn't playing, I was hanging out and I Absolutely. was meeting people. So I, I I was able to leverage some things and book acts, you know, book people who were friends of mine from, you know, that period of time and still are my friends and booking them when they come in town to host or perform at events and things like that. I was just doing things I wanted to do. But for me, I just wanted to get totally away from like a lot of things. I didn't want to go out on a scene to like all these events like that. I just wanted to do like regular stuff. I want I didn't feel like getting on airplanes or traveling for a couple of years. Like, nope, I don't feel like packing clothes. I don't feel like I don't know if I was having anxiety from like packing clothes and always feeling like I was gonna leave something because I'm big. Yeah. So if I I can't go out of town and go to the mall and get stuff. So yeah, it's quick. It's not quick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to get away from all that. It took me a little minute too, like to be like, okay, let me get myself. I, I wasn't working out. Which that'll fuck with you. Because it, it does. Because I was steady hanging out and eating, and I gained weight. I'm hanging out and I'm eating, like I'm still working out, but I'm not working out. But you, you also had every Friday we had to weigh in. So it was like every Friday got to win. I'm I'm retired. I don't have to worry about that no more. So I got away from that. Like, and then like you know just all those things. And you just not feeling like yourself anymore. Like, ugh, tying my shoes became a mission. It was just like different things that I just had to snap back and like. Like you were almost lost. Yeah. Mentally, just a little bit. I feel like I was. I did the opposite of what I had been trained to do all this time because I was so tired of being told what to do and be this weight and be, do all this that was after a while like when it was when it was over i was like i'm getting away from this like can't nobody tell me i gotta be this size i gotta work out this i'm gonna do what i want to do when i want to do it relax and enjoy life you know yeah. what i mean but in the process i was picking up weight and i wasn't working out and then you start just feeling like oh then your clothes ain't feeling good then it's like okay which so, is a mental mind fuck it is so so luckily i just had some supportive friends who we're into working out, and I started creating things like boxing classes. So we would go like Wednesdays and Saturdays, and then that was my way of still doing team activities with people. But then it was getting me back into working out. Yeah, like, you absolutely. Know what I'm then I started picking up. I played tennis, but then I was like, I ran into um, a guy in the gym, and he was a tennis coach, and I connected with him. I said, All right, I'm gonna start taking lessons with you once a week. So then that got me moving around too. So all those things started helping out my mental um, a lot better, just because. I just you started feeling away from just not working out and you start gaining weight and you, you just didn't like moving you just don't feel like as strong as athletic as you used to and you just mentally start having brain fog and whatever so now working out so thinking more clear and then you know when you work out you become more conscious of what you're eating because now you feel like i just did all this work i don't want to just eat all this junk you know and this is a process and i think it's definitely something that a lot of people go to but you remember what i said me when i'm in that space i'm not trying to live here I'm a vi I visited. <laughs> Let me get about it. Yeah, here. we're going. Yeah, so, and some people can just fall into the habit of this is now home because I'm finished. You know, you can't do whatever. that. Like this, like, maybe this is my next chapter, and they fall into this become a home, and they used to it. And me, I was like, oh no, just like little tedious things. It's tying your shoes, and I'm out of breath. I'm like, oh no. I'll never forget the first time it worked out after going through that, and I, that was the first time I felt even kind of like myself again mm -hmm. right because i had like motivation there was things i could do like i felt good and i think that was like the first time and it wasn't any sort of consistency at that point at all but i believe that was like november of 22 
and that's really when like I was like, all right, if we're gonna do this podcast, like we're gonna we're gonna do it right, right. now. You know what I'm saying? And that kind of kicked me in the ass a little bit to get that done. I also have outside motivation with you know my father, who's just a functioning alcoholic. Mm-hmm. That's what he is, you know. And um, you know you don't want to be that. I, I will drink, you know. Mm-hmm. I will, yeah, you know. I'll, yeah, I'm, I'm and I'll get fucked up. Who am I yeah. kidding? You know, I, I'll I be the first. <laughs> yeah, you know, I turn it up, you know. But uh, I, <laughs> at the end of the day, it's like, it's like you'll never see me like that. You yeah, know what I'm yeah. saying? No matter what, you know, I grew up right, like right. that. That that'll never. That was, bro. That was every day for me. You know okay. that. But that. But that'll never be that. To, I'll never be that to my kid. Mm. Which is like where that motivation comes from. But yeah, as far as like mental health goes, so you took that as motivation. Like how I took what my grandma said to me as motivation. Oh, bro. You took something as motivation. Yeah, no, you can't. You have two options. You're either going to use that as motivation to do the opposite, or yeah, you're, or you're going to look at it and say. Well, they do it too, so I might as well too. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's so it. Like to- even for me now, like I, you know, like people be like, "Oh, well, I don't drink or whatever." You know, like my business partner, he doesn't really ever drink, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot, and a lot of those people, but they also are like, "All right, they, they don't, they, they don't agree with it because mm-hmm. they don't do it." But like, they're not bitching at me, like, because but I'm also never like that. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, that's kind of a different space to be in, but. Yeah, guys, as far as mental health goes, like, if, even if y'all need anything, y'all can reach out to me, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what's your organization called? Let's it's called let- B Major Foundation. Um, so our mission statement is basically healthy kids, keep them active and healthy living. And then single-parent homes, I, I help with them um, during the holidays. And then mental health awareness. And then I'll eventually add um, financial literacy because a lot of these guys now are younger and they're coming into NIL deals and things like that. And them and their parents uh, need to, you know, learn some financial literacy behind that let's talk about that so you got in the league you, i mean if you don't mind me asking what was your financial situation before going into the nfl and then um your financial situation after signing the contract and then how did that change you as a person or what were your spending habits like kind of just give me all of it well before going in if i didn't have a financial advisor so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um people thought i mean because i went to miami people think i was already balling because i you know they felt like they take care of you in Miami, but I mean, you know, you're just a college kid who out here surviving. You, f- you figure out ways, you know, with your other teammates and stuff to get by. I, I moved off campus because we-, we get a check to move off campus, and I had uh, three other roommates, you know, so we would split bills, stuff like that. So, I mean, I was more of a person who I knew how to talk my way in the situation. So, if I wanted to be somewhere to do something, I knew how to talk. Yeah. I'm it was funny. Mario Cristobal, who is now in the. the yeah, head yeah. Coach, is the person who entered because he was my um graduate assistant for the offensive line no shit yeah yeah so, no shit so he's the one who took a lot of time with me because you had coach Keo, who was the head o-line coach he was the assistant so he took a lot of time with me developing me really when coach Keo had everybody he would pull me aside on certain games and we would watch extra film or do different things right he was the first person so i had a, a great rapport with him he was the first person who introduced me to south beach oh for real so South Beach is wild, everybody. Hugo Hugo worked the door at, like, the most popular clubs. At the time, it was called Amnesia. And he says, okay, when you go down there, you look for this guy. He's a big guy, like, Asian-looking guy. You're going to say, hey, uh, Mario sent me this and the other. He's going to let you in. I'm like, okay. I was on the age. But they didn't know. They didn't ID me because Yo, but look at you. Yeah, I was going to say, dude. You're 6'8", bro. Nobody saying shit. um, I went down there, and then from there, like, uh, Hugo was the head of security. So Hugo would always like let me in and I would bring like, you know, two or three friends with me. He would let us in, no problem. And after a while they would see me there so much on the weekends that even if Hugo didn't let us in, they would use the same my face, they would let me in. Yeah, it was you what know? it was, so yeah. It, it's just built to just repetition to keep seeing me. Um so Mario was the first person and from there I, I just became great friends with Hugo. 
for years to come. So he introduced me to South Beach. Where am I going with this story? Who cares? Just keep going. <laughs> Just go there. But yeah, so Mario introduced me to South Beach. So oh, so I was talking about um, like financials and stuff like that. So that's that's what I was saying. I was talking my way into places. So just being social and always being able to get connected to the right people helped. So yeah, that is a game changer. I though. didn't really. It wasn't too much. We had friends who worked at certain bars, and they were like. Twenty dollars, they would kind of take care of you all night. Like, yeah, of course. Just, just building relationships. Relationships are important. You build relationships with the right people. You don't really have to pay as much. So it's basically kind of how I. I mean, but that's I was a, that's college. the whole thing, right? Like, because right. like, if you do build those relationships, and a lot of those become lifelong relationships, you may not even realize. I'm it at still the time. friends with this lady named Dorian. She used to work at GameWorks. She was our waitress. She lives in LA now. She reached out to me recently. She used to work at GameWorks, and she was our bartender there. Just talked to her recently. And this is back in college, and um, she would like look out for us and be like, "Oh, you know, it's just you know, like forty dollars. We've been there all day drinking." Like, yeah, you know, like yeah, you know when you yeah. get that tab and you're like, "Nah, this it was ain't a guy, it." It was a guy. At, um, it was a club called Six O Nine. We used to go to on the Thursdays. His name was Tom. Tom would tell the people at the door like, "I got these people coming." He was the bartender, and he'll be like, "Oh, don't worry about it. like we'll order stuff." We go to order with him, and we like try to leave him a tip. He'd be like, "Don't worry about it." Like it was just certain people who play key roles and just we had those relationships and respect for them and they had it for us and they just would show love so it was like we were able to get around a lot of things well, that translated through everything for you yeah. then at that point even when as I, you grew when you got you know when you got to the league though sometimes some things you didn't feel like always negotiating with somebody so you just pay for it is that a tough thing like when you get into the league and people know you have money and like yeah, you feel like you're kind of getting fucked a little bit yeah, yeah yeah you definitely have people who just target you and want you to use your money for everything and they're not putting no skin in the game for anything it's like what but i understand a lot of people don't want to use their own money they like to use other people's money in business as you get mature and on older because even for me i'm gonna use somebody else's instead of mine cause I absolutely was that, you know absolutely. but they'll they will come to i feel like players and try to get them to use theirs and because they didn't have a certain amount of knowledge on whatever the situation was but i always my mom didn't play that yeah. Too much so you had great. You had, you had that good people surrounding you. I at had that a hawk. She was a hawk. <laughs> See, that's good though. That's good. What's it? Um, I want to drop back a little bit. What the fuck is it like winning a Super Bowl? Winning a Super Bowl, I feel like to me it was like going back to college and going to a ball game because that's how the whole week felt. Like you had you went on tours. You went. You had press day. You had. It felt like you. Were Where'd you play game. your Super Bowl? Where was that? In New Orleans, which was a great place. To have oh a Super Bowl. yeah, dude. Yeah. Let's go, <laughs> bro. Was, yeah. It was a great place. To have I love a Super New Orleans. Bowl. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. You know, I played there. The Sugar Bowl, my junior year, was in New Orleans. Oh, okay. So, um, for me, it was like going back there, and it was going through that. I was almost like I was reliving that experience all over again, because it's like back in New Orleans, bowl game, like great experience. Ed Reed is there with me again because we're yeah. in college now. Yeah. We're in the Super Bowl together. It's like God, how crazy is that? Like, talk about full circle, bro. Hello. Yeah, talk I'll about full circle. Because you know, in Minnesota, the whole time I was there, I never had a um, a hurricane teammate. So it took me to have to go to Baltimore, where I got teammates that were hurricanes. And at that, Ed Reed was <laughs> we're, we're the same year, so we were the two guys who won the Super Bowl. I mean, a, a national championship together in college, and then come back together to win the Super Bowl together too. So. Man, shout out Ed Reed for all the amazing shout moments, Reed, man. Yes. Seriously.
fucking king, dude. Fucking yeah. king. That's so special that you got that full circle, man. And to share and, that and moment then with too, somebody. He's from New Orleans, so he was able to play. Oh, shit. So he, hometown win, <laughs> yeah. basically. Yeah. Hometown win. I mean, we've kind of gone over Bryant's huge Miami guy, big U guy, Super Bowl champion. How many years in the league do you play total? 12. 12 years in the league. NFL kind of comes to an end. Was that 13, 14? Uh, 14. 14. We've talked about mental health and, and what you've got going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, you, We had spoke on the phone earlier. You're going into the College Football Hall of Fame. Yup. December 5th in Las Vegas at the Aria Hotel. Um, they'll be introduced, inducting me into the College Football Hall of Fame, which I never thought about. Like, what, bro? What? Because like, you remember, you got to go back to our earlier conversation when I said, I was doing my job just so I didn't get yelled at in the game, like in the, yeah. in the meeting room. So I'm just like, let me just do what I'm supposed to do. So nobody's yelling at me about, why are you not doing this? Why did you? So in my mind, that's what I'm just doing. Yeah. And I realized it's going to pan out to be all that. Even, you know, um, back in 2012, Ed Reed and I together went into University of Miami Hall of Fame together. And um, that to me was just like, I didn't think that far ahead. I didn't even realize they had one. I never heard nobody talk about it. So I mean, I never realized they had but one. like, how cool! Like, what an honor, <laughs> especially because like, funny is me and Avery went into 2012. We went into University of Miami Hall of Fame together, and then that 2012 season is our Super Bowl season. Oh yeah, yeah. No so shit. Like all was at the same, like pretty much the same year for the most part. So so spe- what? So what else do you have going on right now? Like, what else do you want everybody to know about Brian um, McKinney right now? So besides my B Major Foundation and my, and we're not gonna say besides because like that's fucking huge. No, it is huge. That's fucking huge, everybody. So B Major Foundation. Does it have an Instagram? It does. What is the plug on B that? B Major Foundation. B Major Foundation. Let's all make sure we follow that. Uh, I'll follow it too. I have a company called Let's Chat. So we do real-time uh, language translation, over 100 languages. So we do the subtitling for the NFL. Bojangles, we do um, translation for them as far as like, uh, what is it when they, um, you know, when people get the job, they give them like employee, like the manual or whatever? Yeah, the uh, employee handbooks. Yeah, so we, we, we translate those for employees. We do stuff for McDonald's, Coca-Cola. We're looking to, I, I believe we're, we just signed Major League Soccer. Um, we are... Comcast is a small shareholder. Yep. I told you we went through a three-month accelerator program with them, so they're also being able to have meetings with like PGA Golf, NBC, uh, Universal Autos, who are underneath a Comcast, uh, you know, through them. So looking to become a. a well, Comcast is company. huge too in South Florida, oh, especially right. Comcast, well, they're based in Atlanta. I think Comcast I actually defaulted on a Comcast bill. I might have owe you guys a couple of dollars, <laughs> but you know, maybe the box, whatever. We'll call it even. <laughs> right, keep a box. <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's a, a big thing that I have going on right now. Um, and then looking to get back into the music realm soon, too, because um, I, I did um, Pleasure P, his sold album Introduction to Marcus Cooper, which got nominated for three Grammys, and I'm looking to get back into that realm and hopefully eventually win a Grammy. So not that's hopefully, so eventually special. win a Grammy. Get back into music and win actual Grammy. You, um, I do. Like I said, I want to introduce you to uh, Malik. If okay. you don't already know him, um, he would be a great person for you to for you to talk to for then sure. I'm gonna get on the TV side too. I feel like I could be a great casting director. Um, Got one right over there too. if you want to talk to him. And I, I'm I'm dead serious. Like a, a lot of these guys, like I, I think what's so special about you, bro. And I'm not just be saying this. Mm-hmm. What's so special about you is that, you know, you work hard. You go through the NFL. Mm-hmm. You know, you do your thing. You have a badass cruise with Fred Smoot. I wish I was invited <laughs> to that bitch. Let's go. You go through all that. You come out. And then, you know, you're sitting here, we're talking about mental health. We're talking mm. about 
getting better. Um, we're talking about getting everybody involved with the language translation right. stuff, right? That really changes a lot of things. Yeah. What is, uh, if like Bryant McKinney had a message to everybody, what would it be? Don't limit yourself or don't allow anybody to put limits on yourself. And I feel like that goes back to my grandma. So if one thing she's taught me a lesson is not to limit or doubt yourself. If you feel like you can achieve it, go out there. You pretty pretty much can. If you if you can see it, you can achieve it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's like, that's so special. So um, wh- I, I got to talk so more. Let me go back to Yeah, go ahead. No, 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 go. So remember my grandma thing again, too. So when it came time to get drafted, grandma, guess what? Remember you said. Oh, shit. And then it's like. It's, all right, national championship, grandmom, same speech. Um, draft day, we're in New York, grandmom, same speech. It was the next moment. I made the Pro Bowl, grandmom, next speech. <laughs> Super Bowl, after the Super Bowl, the very first person out of my family who found me on the field with all the confetti was my grandmom. Grandmom, now remember when you said, I remember <laughs> the confetti coming down. She ran out there. She was the first one who found me on the field. Yeah. Um, also had another grandma moment because she was there when I got inducted to University of Miami Hall of Fame. And in my speech, I mentioned that too during that speech. And then I get to mention it another time in December. Oh, you got to talk about yeah, that. of course. This has been like the push through everything. And definitely plug the mental health stuff. You get an opportunity oh, to. Oh, I definitely will, yeah. You know, because like what you have going on there. But, you know, I think what's so cool is like it seems like you have a phenomenal relationship there. And like to be able to say like – you know, this was a motivator for me. Mm-hmm. You know, just just hearing that you're gonna play basketball, man. You're gonna get tired of this, whatever mm-hmm. it might be, right? And there was no hate; it was all love the whole way. But it was just simply like, I, I gotta prove you wrong here. I gotta yeah, I gotta prove you wrong. When she said that. I was like, what? And I was like, I'm gonna prove her wrong. I'm not gonna let her be right. Yeah, and I think it's great too because I feel like you've carried that into a lot of things because you've carried that into like, okay, this the stigma behind mental health is this, mm-hmm. and then n- now you know what? Let's talk about it. And I'm not gonna lie, even when it came to music, it was a stigma with athletes trying to get in the music business and people yeah. not taking them serious and feel like you're wasting your money. And then I come in and I get a project that's not made for three Grammys. I said, now you have to respect me. And you really enjoy that then, huh? Yeah. What was your favorite part about like, like working like on that? I like when people underestimate me or doubt me. Yeah. It motivates me more. Like, yeah, go ahead, tell me I can't wrong. do it. Right, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do I'm going to crush it now. So, yeah. What was your experience in the music industry? Like, uh, the music industry is not like the music industry isn't like the NFL. NFL has more structure. Yeah, the music industry can be like a little bit all over the place, and you have a lot of people who come in trying to just get money. I feel like they think short term. I was gonna say that, bro. Yeah, How many fakes? Like, you all mean all fake, fake people yeah, out so there, like, huh? Yeah, I have two. Just fake things and fake smiles and handshakes. They they're really not can't do anything, but they'll sell you these dreams that they can. And is there anything else you want to touch on that we haven't touched on? You're good. Okay, so I finished my podcast with uh, this question on every uh, with everybody. On a scale of one to ten, it's a two part question. On a scale of one to ten, how happy would you consider yourself to be? And if it's not a ten, what do you think you can do to get yourself closer to a ten? I'm gonna say like an eight and a half because there's still other things I want to accomplish in life. So that's what'll make me happy is all the goals that I set out to accomplish, I complete them. So until then, I'm cool, but I'm not like all smiles yet because I still have work to do. Yeah, you're not satisfied. You want yeah. more. Well, I can't tell you, um, you know, I came into this podcast and I was very excited. I'm way more excited now after talking about mental health with you. Oh, yeah. Because any time I get an opportunity to even, you know how it is, you tell your story, you feel better or right, whatever right, it might right. be, um, and have that dialogue. And then um, I'd love your link, and I'd really like to, um, even if we could, I, I mean, f- 
for nothing, bro. I would I would love to plug your foundation as far as mental health oh, goes as much as we can because oh, that is that. more than special to us. It it's is. it's the basis of what we do and we want everybody out there to know it's okay to talk about whatever you need to talk about. You need to have somebody to speak with. It's okay to not be okay. Mm. Um and uh you know, keep your chin up and, and um and work out. That's a big thing. Work it's out. Big. Work out. Right? And, yoga. And I do yoga too. Yeah, yoga's good. Hot yoga. Dude, hot yoga is rough. Yeah, though. it is. Oh, your hot yoga. I like it because you, it, it already like starts to warm your body up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're loose. So you're already like sweating, and I sweat like I don't know what. I believe that. <laughs> I believe that. But um, no, man. Hey, thank you forever, oh, no man. Problem. For real. Yeah, like yeah, I can't yeah. tell you how much I appreciate thank that. And um, we'll be back next week. Enjoy and check out the links below and everything. I, I want to make sure that this foundation gets gets looked at and then, and then we utilize this because uh, there's not enough stuff out there right now for, for mental health. Right. There's not enough space out there. And, and, and the more that we get, and the more we promote this, uh, the better off we're all going to be. It really is the way it is. So uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, thank you, Brian McKinney, thank for you. just being just a fucking hell of a dude. So thank you all. And shout out to Duck Tavern. Uh, you guys are amazing. Thanks again. Cool. We're good. Yeah. Bro, thank you so oh, much. Yeah, that no was problem. dope, bro.